Behind the Shades. Hello, Crystal and Andrew. How are you two today? Good. How are you? Doing real good. I am well. It's cold in Toronto, Canada, but I'm warm now. <laughs> <laughs> it's cold in Pennsylvania, too. <laughs> How's the day for the two of you so far? Not bad for a Monday. It is Monday, right? I think so. Use <laughs> <laughs> track of days. I'm guessing it was busy? Yes. Uh, busy all the way up until probably about five o'clock. Perfect, perfect. So how has the new year treated you guys? Any goals, any dreams? Uh, the new year has really started out well. Um, I am a first-time grandfather. Congratulations. And we got to uh, we got to see the little guy on Saturday. And I got to hold my grandson for a, a couple of hours. It was awesome. Yeah, we had to quarantine for two weeks in order to go see him. So we stayed home for a couple of weeks and it was all worth it. Okay. And do you have to quarantine afterwards or no? No. Um, the, the parents, um, Andy's oldest son and daughter-in-law, um, were very picky about who is able to come see the baby. She uh, She's on maternity leave at home. So they're limiting who can come in and, and see the baby right away. Perfect. And I think, um, I think a lot of new parents do that, right? So especially when the child is born, they always want to make sure it's more of a controlled environment, I guess. Right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Definitely. That's understandable. We're getting our, our, both our books, uh, out there and the message out there. And we've talked to a lot of people and, uh, working on the audio books, working on the audio version of the books. And it's just, it's it's been one of those where we've set goals and we're we're seeing that uh, seeing that come about. As soon as we're done with here, give us an address and we'll send you an autographed copy. Oh, perfect! Thank you so much. You see, guys, for those listening, these two are my new best friends. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So I guess we'll officially get started, and I want to welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Shades. I have. I said earlier, my new best friends, Crystal and Andrew. Why don't you two introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself. And I guess we will start, ladies first, with Crystal. Uh, I'm Crystal Underwood. I'm originally from Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, I've always been a writer since the time I was in grade school. I started writing poems and short stories. Um, met Andrew on a a website that or a, it was kind of like an online writing class and he was living in Pittsburgh and we started emailing back and forth uh, some of our assignments and actually our first book is based on a story that we started and continued for two weeks two years two it? years two through, years through back email. and forth through email mm -hmm. yeah I have a grown daughter she's 24 she works in the medical field and uh, I am an extra mom to Andy's four grown children. She makes the best cupcakes in the world. <laughs> I remember you telling me that. And you know what? Uh, I don't know if they're going to survive the the trip from your house to my house along with a book. But we can try, right? <laughs> <laughs> I actually tried to, to ship a cake to my dad uh, in Florida. And he said it got there. It didn't look like a cake once. <laughs> It got there. He says, but it still tasted good. <laughs> uh, my name, like you said, is Andy Underwood. Um, 
I'm not originally from Pennsylvania. I'm from uh, a little farm town in Utah. Uh, one of six kids. Um, so I was at the tail end of the family. And so it was one of those things where if you came late to supper, you didn't eat. <laughs> not that not that they would eat everything first, but it was just... Oh, they would have. Yeah, they probably would have. <laughs> uh, uh, my writing really didn't start uh, until uh, much later in life. I always had an active imagination, but never really wanted to take the chance of putting that into words. Uh, I was a little nervous. And once I um, met Crystal, you know, she encouraged me to... Well, you've got a lot of good ideas once you put them down on paper and that's that's how my writing and my sojourn into writing started was uh, i finally got up the nerve and the courage to actually do it um i've got four great kids uh three boys and a, and my uh, princess daughter hmm. uh, they're all doing well in life uh they're they're having families and uh uh, buying homes and and uh, really uh, I, I can't be any more prouder of them than I am um, it's it's nice when you can they, they say you really don't know what type of parent you are until you see your kids with their children and uh, being able to watch my oldest boy with his son it just brought back a lot of a lot of memories of when I was when I first became a dad and just watching Watching that interaction, it was uh, probably one of the best experiences of my entire life. Um, I like to do a lot of woodworking and uh, uh, remodeling and just working with my hands. Uh, and it's nice to be able to write because now I get to work with my imagination and with my mind as well. Perfect, perfect. So it seems that the two of you share a love for writing. Is that oh, accurate yeah. to say? Yeah. And that you two met because of this shared love. How was that experience? Because as as writers, and um, this is something, writing was always something I wish I took to that level, um, because I always felt that um, I have an appreciation for words and my imagination and, and so on. But for you two to create this love, to create this um, romance through, this is something that jokingly people would see in the movies right where you have two people mm -hmm. they would share um, such a burning desire inside them but you two have made it work like how was the experience um of being connected through a passion and ultimately leading you two to where you two are now um it it was exciting um to connect with other people online that you could read their stories they could read yours you could critique you could leave comments and basically it started innocently that way with just encouraging each other and saying, Hey, I really like the idea you had here. Like how you described this or that our writing styles are very similar. And we just did this writing assignment on a fluke where, okay, we're going to start a, a chapter book. Um, I'm going to write one chapter and then I'm going to email it to you and you're going to pick up where I left off. There was no outline. There was no idea where the story was going. It was just to, uh, you know, kind of use your imagination. So after two years of doing that and then finally meeting each other, um, it was like we'd known each other for years, like we'd been best friends for years. And it, it wasn't until like we met in 2007. It wasn't until 2016 we actually got married. 
um, and we published our first and second book. So um, we're still working on the third one, but we have plans of continuing. When, when you meet somebody that connects on a, uh, I guess, on, on a, a mental level, that their writing style speaks to you and, and you understand it, and your writing style, you know, or vice versa, speaks to them. Uh, it's like you've opened yourself up uh, to a to a whole other way of getting to know somebody. You know, you can you can watch a movie and you can uh, you can sit down and talk to somebody, but until you see what how their mind works and and how they put into words how they're feeling, it you really don't get to know a person. And you know, for me, I fell in love with her mind before I really got to know her because I could see how she visualized uh, an autumn day and how she uh, talked about the cool, crisp feeling of getting up first thing in the morning and going outside and, and the frost on the ground. And I, I was just blown away. It's just like, wow, you know, I understand that. I can feel that. I know what she's talking about. Yeah. We always say it was uh, not love at first sight, but love at first right. Um, because we did fall in each other, you know, in love with each other's writing um, and the way that we visualize the world. You think sometimes that's what's missing because the the connection that you two have, um, as, as you guys put it, um, love at first right, and that um, Andrew mentioned he fell in love with your mind first because um, there's this passion. Um, because that's something, in my opinion, it's going to last forever because this is who the person is this is their essence right and you're tapping into that more so than the superficial yes you know what person looks good things of that nature but when you could understand someone's personality or when you can connect on them with that level i think that's the ultimate goal do you think do you both think sometimes that's what's missing and we don't hear enough of stories like the two of you have um in the media or with our friends or out in the world? Yeah, I, I think uh, our way of meeting is unique because we really didn't know what we looked like um, for a while. And we didn't judge the person on look on looks alone, uh, where uh, I know sometimes in the past with, with dating, um, if I looked at the person and I thought they were attractive, then I was interested. But you don't know what's inside. You're superficially looking at a person. You have no clue until you get to know them. So I actually had that inside look at what he was like as a person before I actually physically saw him and met him. So I feel like on a deeper level, we connected. And it, it, it didn't matter to us what we looked like once we did meet. And I, you know, like you said, I think that's, I think that's missing in today's society. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we swipe left or swipe right before we ever get to know a person. Yeah, we, we talk to our kids about that. It's like, how can you do that? How can you just take one look at a person and say, yeah, I'd like them or not like them. You don't know anything about them. You're just judging by looks. Makes no sense. Yeah, I remember someone was telling me, um, someone I spoke to um, last week, and they painted this picture how someone came up to them. They said that, okay, the person I want, six feet, six figures. And it's like, that's eliminating, I think, 92% 
<laughs> of, of the world <laughs> because I say only 8% make six figures, right? And yeah. then you got to make six figures, but you also have to be six feet tall and six feet tall for, for men and women is not the average height. So you're right. Um, that's a lot of things that that's missing. And I know um, as we went back and forth early, you mentioned acceptance, mm-hmm. right? Um, for those who maybe have their view or their definition of acceptance, what does acceptance mean to each of you and how has it played a role in your life? For me, um, I was, I, I will admit, I was a weird little kid. Uh, I, I had a very overactive imagination and um, I felt that at times I had one of those, I could probably walk around with a little meter next to me that says, okay, people are tired of me and I could see it going off and I'm going, okay, now they're no longer paying attention and they've kind of zoned out. So there's, I didn't feel accepted for being different, you know, in our books, acceptance for these kids that we wrote about is about the way we felt growing up. Um, I would, I always wanted to be accepted for who I was, not who they wanted me to be. If that makes any sense. Not to uh, fit a mold, right? Not yeah. to fit a mold. My older brothers were all hunters. You know, they went hunting with my dad, and for me. I wasn't the hunter. I loved being with the, in the outdoors with my dad, but I wasn't the hunter gatherer uh, that they were, you know, for me shooting an animal and stuff like that. It's just not something I believed in. And so I felt like at times I wasn't the accepted son that he was looking for. It wasn't until years later when I started to uh, build things with my hands and, and create beautiful uh, woodworking carvings and stuff like that, that I've really felt accepted by my dad because I showed him how to do that. And then he took off and he, he went from building boxes and, and, and shelves and stuff to creating these beautiful works of art. And I didn't know he had that talent and he didn't either, but it was something we bonded over. And then I finally felt like I had my dad's acceptance that he accepted me and he saw me for who I was. And not the weird little kid that I felt like I grew up in his eyes being. So for me, that's acceptance. That's accepting me or accepting these kids or accepting our own kids for who they are, not expecting them to fit a certain mold that society says they should be. Right. And, and it's like unconditional love. Uh, you, you love somebody and there are no conditions to that love. You don't have to act a certain way or be a certain way or look a certain way. Um, it doesn't matter that love is unconditional. It's the same with acceptance. Um, a lot of people think that tolerance, uh, I mean, in our opinion, tolerance just means they allow you to exist and they don't, they don't necessarily wish you would change. It's it's hard to describe. What were we saying earlier about acceptance? Is the um, the essence of taking someone the way they are and not wishing to change them. Whereas tolerance, uh, it's you tolerate somebody because you don't have the power to change them. Whereas acceptance is if if my child 
is a, uh, a little bit different or he doesn't uh, he has an overactive imagination and he daydreams a lot I'm not going to try to make him into my image I'm going to I'm going to let him be who he is and not try to change him into it's mostly something. the understanding yeah it's the understanding but, yeah a lot of people um, see someone different than themselves either by the way they look or disability or the lifestyle that they live and they just don't understand it um, understanding is the first step to accepting somebody, um, opening the conversation and finding out about them and their life. And um, a lot of people don't take that time. They're so quick to judge. They're so quick to say, well, I couldn't live that way. Well, you aren't. It's not your life to live, but you shouldn't judge how they live it. Um, it's, it's basically, we're all different in this world. If everybody was the same, it would be boring and uh, embrace those differences and embrace, you know, the things that you don't understand and try to understand them. Well, similar to what Andrew was describing and what you touched on, Crystal, is that I was different than the rest of the family. So I stood out for good, bad or indifferent reasons, right? But when I began to connect, or I felt when things began to change was, yes, when I became a little successful, but when it really took off was when I started the podcast, because that's what it made me realize that so many people in my family watch and listen to podcasts. So when I started doing it, they felt that they could now relate to me mm -hmm. in a way that they couldn't relate to me before. Similar to the example you gave, Andrew, when the woodworking, um, your father didn't know he had that, but since you're doing it, then you guys were able to relate to that. And then as you pointed out, you were no longer the weird child because you can connect with your with your father in a different way than your other brothers. And then Crystal, you mentioned a point where it always starts with understanding, right? Because acceptance is that I accept you who you are um, because it's unconditional. I love you because I love you as the person. I love you with everything in my heart because I love every sense of you tolerance seems to be like i accept you but i hope you're going to change mm -hmm. to something yeah. that i could it's something that makes me more comfortable right mm -hmm. and i think sometimes we confuse the two especially with everything that's that's going on in the world these days right that people are, are tolerant but there's that thought in the back of their head that you know what I hope Crystal and Andrew will change because it'll be maybe better for me, even though I should be accepting them. Is that how understanding, in your opinion, plays a part in that? Where it's like understanding is a big part of being accepted, since both mm -hmm. of you have gone through something like that. Yeah, I mean, I grew up with a dad who was dyslexic, who didn't read. And I always had my nose in a book, and he didn't understand that. He, he didn't get you know, why he had to, you know, pull me out of my bedroom and say, you know, go outside and play, you know, don't sit in your room by yourself. And he always told me my imagination was overactive and to get my head out of the clouds and focus on my future and what I wanted to do with my life. And all I wanted to do was read and write and just live in this make-believe world of books. And it wasn't actually until we published the first book that my stepmom read the book to him because he's just not capable of reading a book. 
and she read it to him. And I actually got a phone call that said, wow, like, I'm proud of you. And I didn't hear that growing up. I didn't. I always felt like I fell short because we didn't understand each other. And now I feel like we understand each other. And now he tells me all the time he's proud of me. I just wish it would have happened sooner. <laughs> <laughs> so talk about um, the books that the, two, that the two of you have, have written. How impactful are these books to the two of you? And how special does it feel that you're putting your experience, you're putting this out there for the world to consume? Well, the first book uh, introduces two main characters, uh, Ben, that's the character that I write from. Uh, it's a unique book. Each chapter is broke up into two, into two sections. Sarah, which is written by Crystal, is the first half of each chapter. And then it goes to Ben's point of view, which I write from. And so you, each chapter is going to have the two male-female male, points of view from two characters, Ben and Sarah. And Ben moves into a new house. And it's a haunted place and there's a mystery involved. And through the course of the story, uh, they meet new characters. Uh, they, they meet a bully. and A deaf kid. A deaf kid. And they learn through the interactions of these characters that uh, everybody's different. Uh, there's no two people that are alike. And where these kids all feel like they're misfits together, they, they feel whole, they feel accepted. Um, and in the process, uh, they gain some, I don't want to say supernatural powers, but they gain some abilities that they didn't have before that allow them to solve a mystery and to work together. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the process, uh, we've, had, we've had kids and adults that have read this. It takes place, the storyline takes place in the summer of 1980, back when kids went out and played. Yeah, and there were no cell phones. There was no cell phone. Yeah. The only phone you had was what was attached to the wall in the kitchen with a long cord. <laughs> and are you, are you talking about like the rotary phones where you did it? The rotary phones or just when they started coming out with the push button phones <laughs> and, and kids went out and played and you knew it was time to go home when the street lights went on, you know? And so it's an adventure that happens in the neighborhood and it's an adventure that uh, teaches these kids to work together and to not judge and not to be judgmental. Um, yeah, and once you get through the first book and it finally comes to an end, we've had people say, you know, I couldn't wait to read the second book. I, I wanted to see what happened next. And in the, in the next book, they go to summer camp. Their, their parents send them to summer camp to keep them uh, busy because they got into so much trouble with the first mystery and some of them almost died. So they're like, well, we'll send them to summer camp. They'll be supervised. They'll be fine there. But what they didn't realize is they were going to find another mystery and uh, add more people to their, uh, their, their mystery seeking paranormal group that would, you know, help people out. Um, but it, it turns out that these kids and their powers unite them together and they help people who have passed on find closure. 
and the people that they left behind, um, you find know, peace. find peace in it. And so, you know, it's, it's a unique, uh, we would, we never would have guessed when we first started this whole process, um, the, the people and the characters that we write, would write about would touch so many people's lives. We've had people say, I can identify with that person. I know how that person felt. I was that little kid. And they come back to us and they said, and you know, one person said, I stayed up all night reading that book. I said, it's your fault. I didn't get any <laughs> sleep. I started reading it and I couldn't put it down until I finished it. And then the other person goes, now I've got to wait how long for the third book to come out? <laughs> so, but it's just, it's being able to relate with the characters and seeing how uh, they grow and taking those tidbits of our experiences as kids and saying, oh, maybe I should do that with my kid, or maybe I should, maybe I should talk to my child that way, or, you know, we, we tried to put life lessons in. And situations, like, that they would be put into as, you know, 13, 14, 15-year-old kids, um, you know, they learn about teamwork, they learn about trust, um, they're learning about first love, they're learning about loss, um, they're meeting people that have disabilities. We have a, a deaf character in the first book. We have a character with OCD in the second book. Our third book um, hits on Down syndrome and a gay character. Um, they're making them aware of all the different people in our world and that you can welcome them into your group. It doesn't matter how different you are. You can still work together. Um, so, um, it seems like there's always at least one character that that the reader relates to that was our golden retriever bailey he's our dog <laughs> <laughs> or i have a dog as well she's actually sleeping in the sofa in my in my living room right now yeah we have two golden retrievers in there they just woke up <laughs> both were under the desk being nice and quiet not anymore <laughs> So how, does, how does that feel getting that kind of feedback when um, to our earlier conversation that, you know, what you spoke about your, um, your battles with, with acceptance, right? How does that feel that your book is being accepted the way it is? Like it's been fantastic. I mean, I, it, it's hard to put into words. We had, um, what was her name from Philadelphia? Shanetta. Shanetta. Malkai. She's yeah. a former Miss Maryland um, contestant, and she has a uh, she has a group where she talks about anti-bullying and uh, anti-suicide. And uh, when she got a hold of the, our story and and the premise of our book and the anti-bullying that we promote, uh, she had us come down and talk to a group of kids and their parents, and. They lived in the high-risk uh, area of Maryland. Um, there was a lot of, of suicides in the young kids, and the parents were struggling to find out how to talk to them. Um, and we actually went down, and, and we had a small group of kids and their parents that we sat down with, and you know we, we talked about all kinds of things. We gave them life experiences that, you know, that maybe they could relate to. We told the parents how to talk to their children, how we did it with ours. And it was very rewarding. Um, 
it was it's harder for me to open up um because i suffer from social anxiety from being uh bullied so much as a child but the more i do it uh, the more comfortable i become um and he helps me a lot it's yeah. <laughs> he's very outgoing and he can talk to anybody and i'm kind of like in the background like not wanting to be noticed but um but just to just to get some of the feedback that we've had from e either the adults or the kids that have read it and, and to have talked to those parents um, and, and listened to the kids. And I think that's a, one of the biggest problems we have as a society is we don't listen to understand, we listen to respond. And it's just, it's important as parents that when we listen to our kids, we're actually listening to what they're saying. Uh, and we're putting our phones down. There's so many people are on their phones at all times with social media and your kids are talking to you and you're going, yeah, right, uh-huh, whatever. Um, okay. You know, and then you don't remember later what they were talking about because you weren't really looking at them and engaging with them. Uh, sometimes kids uh, retreat to their rooms. I had a teenage daughter who was very difficult to talk to and she would slam her door and she would close herself up in a room and, and she would want to be left alone. And the only way I could actually have a conversation with her was to get in the car with her and drive somewhere. And she would open up and talk and talk and talk because I wasn't looking at her. She, she had a, she was scared to look at me when she was talking about certain things. Um, I mean, each kid is different. You just have to learn. And I had four kids and they were not the same. You, you, I had to, I had to learn to communicate differently with each one. And I actually had one of my sons uh, come up and he put his hands on both sides of my face and said, dad, you're not listening. And that was a wake up call for me. Uh, I don't know where I would be today had he not done that. Um, you know, I, I would always listen. I grew up uh, in a household where my parents listened so they knew how to respond. It wasn't until later that they listened so they knew how to understand. And I kind of took on those habits that I had from my dad. And that was listening to, okay, well, this is, you know, the, we're so quick to fix things as parents that we're not allowing our children to grow up and, and giving them the tools to fix things. And so for me, it was a wake up call. I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't listening to what my son wanted. I was just, okay, how can I fix this so I can go on to something else? And he didn't want that. He wanted me to just listen. He knew what he wanted to do. He just wanted to make sure that he was going in the right direction and make sure I was understanding what he was trying. And so, it's it's remarkable uh, the change that we've seen and the responses that we you know coming back to your original question it's hard to explain you know there's there's so many people that you can touch with the story and there are those that you may never hear from uh, that will change one little thing about them I mean if you touch one person and they do something different in their life based off of something that they've read or something they've experienced, then it was a success. Yeah. You wouldn't need to have anything else. Just that one person, it would have been a success. Yeah, it would be great if it became a bestseller. Um, but we're, we're being realistic. 
uh, not everybody gets to have a best-selling book. The, the purpose of it is to get us get it out there and get people reading it and understanding it and um, feeling like we made a difference. Like we both learned later in life, you never stop being a parent. Even when they grow up and move out of the house and start families of their own, they they're still your children. And if if you decide today, and your your children are teenagers, and if you decide today that you want to make a change, it's going to take time. Like mm -hmm. you said, your kids are smart; they know what's going on, but they can also tell when you are making an honest effort to be a parent, not just be their friend, but to be a parent. You know, sometimes you see parents that are too worried about their being their kid's friend than they are about being a parent that they lose that connection. You know, I, I want to be my kid's friend, but I also want to be a good example as a parent because eventually they're going to be parents too. And you want, you want what's best for them, but you also want to have them understand and to, what am I trying to say? <laughs> I mean, we learned a lot through our experiences and you can look at your kids and you can say you know what this is what happened to me but they're not gonna understand it they're gonna they're gonna look at you and go yeah yeah whatever mom whatever dad you know that was back then but if you talk about things on a daily basis and maybe can make some comparisons to what you went through and what they go through um learn their conversation um, style. It's kind of like the, there's five love languages. There's a million and one languages that you could use to talk to your kids. They're all different. Um, it's, it's a struggle. I mean, communication is number one in any relationship. And when they're teenagers, they don't always want our opinion and they don't want us being nosy and they don't want to be told what to do because they feel like they're grown-ups. Uh, listening is the best thing because if they feel like they're heard and they don't feel like you're trying to fix things for them, then they'll come back. I mean, I still have my adult daughter call me on the phone and say, hey mom, I just need to vent. I don't need you to fix things for me. I just need to vent. And then there's other times she'll call me and says, hey, I don't know what to do. I need some advice. It's just being able to be there, be there for them and talk them through things and solve problems if they need help. Um, you don't want to just take over and do it for them. They, they need to learn. Right. How did that make you feel to have that breakthrough? When I had that aha moment uh, with my one son, it, it made me take a step back and really evaluate how I talk to the rest of my kids. You know, there isn't a, a one size fits all uh, way of communicating to really anyone. And I had to sit back and actually listen to how he was feeling, um, which in turn- ask questions too. And, and, you know, then he started to open up and ask questions. Well, dad, what do you think about this? Or what if I don't want to go to college and be this? Or what if I want to do this instead? Uh, what if I don't know what I want to do? You know, we grew up with graduate, go to college, 
or get a job, start a family, and rinse and repeat. Just do the same thing that we did just over and over and over again. Well, our kids aren't that way. They've got a multitude of opportunities that uh, we didn't have growing up. And there's resources out there that we didn't have. You know, I talk to my kids and their eyes gloss over when I say, you know, we used to have to go to the library and go through the card catalog and, <laughs> and, and find this information out by actually reading a book. And they look at us like, oh, yeah. Oh, um, you didn't have Google then? <laughs> <laughs> and so they've got resources and stuff that I wish I'd have had as a kid. But on the other hand, I'm kind of glad that I had to go outside and I had to go play and I didn't have video games to uh, but that's their world, and we have to be accepting of that world and learn to communicate in their world. Mm -hmm. That's a big thing. With, I mean, with my daughter, I'm not going to lie. The teenage years were horrible. They were horrible. There was a lot of crying and screaming and slamming of doors, and I don't, you don't understand me, and I hate you, and you know, and I felt like I was a failure, and I wasn't. It was just the stage that she was going through. All she needed was somebody to listen to her. She just wanted to be heard. And it was a, it was a big change for me when, when I got divorced from her dad and it was just the two of us in the house and we had to learn all over again. We had to figure it out. We had to push through it and we did it by going through family counseling. We did it by starting a journal where I would write how I felt and then I'd give it to her and she'd write something and hand it back. Um, any way we could to, to talk um, and just connect. And it, honestly, it is a life-changing moment when you do realize that you can do better and, and it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to, you know, go to counseling or therapy if you feel like you're struggling. Um, uh, there's a lot of mental illness out there and it runs in our family. Um, I have depression and anxiety in my family. Andy suffers from um, ADHD. Um, so he's very hyper and he has a hard time focusing. And it's um, not that I'm not paying attention. It's just that my mind is going 40 other different directions and I am listening kind of, <laughs> but it's not that I'm, but it's not that I'm doing it intentionally. It's just, it's, it's going back to the understanding. Like we talked about understanding precedes acceptance. And once we understand our kids, once we understand our parents, once we understand our, our wives or our husbands, uh, or the way that we parent as an adult has a lot to do with how we were as kids. Um, if you were bullied as a kid, you carry that through your entire life and some people never get over it. Um, you are a whole of what has happened to you, you know, in your life, good, bad, ugly, you know, that all is rolled up into one ball and that's you and how you deal with it is up to you. It's your choice to either be a victim or be assertive and take control of it and be a good parent and be happy. That's all your choice. I, I agree that we all have a choice and we all can overcome a lot of the things that we go through, especially childhood. It leaves such an impact. I mean, we, this the past few years, we've seen so much hate, so much injustice, um, just 
um, as a very sensitive person, it affected me. Um, I'm very affected by negativity in the news. I'm very affected by racism. I'm affected by cruelty. Um, it it's a when when we grew up as kids, if we were bullied at school, we had a safe place. It was called home, mm -hmm. where we could just go in and shut things off. And the only outside the only outside world that could come in was the three channels that we had on TV. Yeah, three. <laughs> and I know I'm dating myself. It goes, oh my God, how do you do three channels? How do you survive? But that was the only thing. And our kids can't get away from that nowadays. Mm -hmm. Not with the social. Not with all the social medias. The bullying comes and it chases them home and it chases them to their Facebook page and to their Instagram and to their, they don't have that safe place. And that's why it's more important than ever as parents that we listen to our kids because there's a silent communication that's going on out there that it's not verbal anymore. We have to, we have to look at what they're, what they're up against on their social media and their websites and their Facebook pages and, and be active and seeing how they're responding to society. You know, kids aren't going to come out right now and say, mom, dad, I'm depressed. I feel suicidal. They're not going to say that. They're going to say that in how they post things on Facebook or Instagram. That's where we've got to be conscious, conscious and mm -hmm. vigilant as parents and really start to pay attention. 